Rugby brings joy, money and a sense of identity to many in the Pacific Islands, but how fairly are they treated by the powerful forces that run the game? With France, the host nation of this year's Rugby World Cup, embroiled in a corruption scandal, new podcast Fair Game investigates the perception Pacific Rugby is being held back from reaching its true potential. It's also an examination of power, race and economic disparity. With us now is the presenter of the new podcast series, Fair Game, James Norkise. Ta James. Ta Susanna. What a pleasure to talk to you. Isn't it great? I'm delighted too. So thank you for that start. Um, we set out to investigate, well, when you set out to investigate Pacific Rugby, what did you know? Uh, well, I'm not a, a player in any way. I, I work in the performing arts. And so uh, I think in terms of the politics, I knew as much as any other Pacific fan and that um, there's always gossip that goes around, you know, whether it's in the garage or in the lounge. And I, I knew that things were rough for the home Pacific nation, Samoa, Donga, Fiji, but I'm not sure I really understood how rough that things were. And and the more we investigated, the more we learned, I think the more invested and upset I became. Tell us more. Well, it's um, so it, a lot of it has to do with votes and how many votes are available at the bureaucratic level, at the, at the World, World Rugby Council. Um, now, a lot of people think New Zealand, because it's so strong in rugby, you know, consistently in the in the top three or dare we say four this year um, in the world. And so they'd have a lot of sway and they have some, but they actually only have the same amount of votes as a country like Italy, um, whereas Fiji has um, one vote, but they sort of have two because they also have the Oceana rep, uh, who's also Fijian. Samoa has one vote and Donga actually has no votes, which was kind of shocking when you consider that the reason rugby became a properly global game is because of a, a Dongan player, because of Jonah Lomu. Exactly. Okay, keep going. Well, what we what we set out to start with is John Daniel is, I, I always say, a proper journalist. I'm, I'm just a comedian along for the ride. John Daniel, who's... Um, done Red Line and The Service, uh, which RNZ listeners might know. Um, He's actually a former rugby player as as well in France. He he played in New Zealand and Wellington, and then he moved to France. And so he has experience playing with Pacific players over there. And, you know, it started off sort of as a simple question. Is rugby as an organization systemically racist? And what I mean by that, listeners, before you start texting in is, is it inherently racist because of the structure? And in looking at that question and and going in, we actually realized that there is an inequality there for the Pacific nations in terms of resources. Um, And it's not necessarily something that fans realize. So for Pacific people, they might look at what we're saying in the show and what we've discovered in the show and go, hey, we knew that, but it's finally confirmed officially. It's it's on RNZ. It's, it's official. Um, for non-Pacific New Zealanders, they might look at some of the revelations and go, oh, I, 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 think, that, I think I knew that, um, but this is what it actually is. 
what we found since the series began is that a lot of European listeners, um, people from the UK and France, where there's a lot of Pacific players, an amazing depth of Pacific players over there, uh, is that they're finding it um, quite educational because they're big fans of Pacific rugby, the Pacific style of rugby, the joy and the flair, but they don't necessarily understand the home conditions. They don't understand the uh, gap between the availability of, of top play for their teams, the Six Nations teams, and for the Pacific teams. So who's responsible for the inequities? Well, uh, look, if... if you're looking for who the big bad guy is. You know, you'll probably have to listen to the series. But if, if you wanted to go sort of in a, in a grand grand scheme of things, the power structure is held by the Six Nations teams. Um, they're sort of referred to as the castle in the north. Um, and each of them have three votes. And what they're trying to do um, is sort of what any corporation will want to do. They're trying to do right by their shareholders, their their rugby people, fans, uh, and local competitions. But in doing so, they're sort of shutting out the opportunity for other teams to elevate. So it's not just the the three Pacific nations. Um, there's teams like Georgia. Rugby is Georgia's national sport, but they can't quite crack into the top ten. Uh, there's teams like Japan, which have, have been making long strides. You know, they're, they're up they're up for a fight against the All Blacks now. But the difference between those nations and Samoa, Fiji, and Tonga is the heritage. It's it's what those teams have given in terms of actual players and actually changing the style of rugby itself. And I think even World Rugby is is able to acknowledge that the way that the rules have been set up, it, it does put those home nations um, at a disadvantage for fielding competitive squads. That's why you, you'll get Donga, who have incredible players around the world. Their national team shows up in New Zealand and gets blown away by 100 points. And even, even staunch, I remember the columns afterwards, even staunch New Zealand fans were like, hey, this isn't, it just doesn't feel right. And so we're trying to investigate What's behind that? You know, when we're watching the Tongan team lose by a hundred points to the All Blacks, I mean, you're just watching someone get a hiding. It doesn't feel good after a while. Did you speak with New Zealand Rugby as part of your investigation? Well, uh, we we did actually. Who did we speak to? We well, we spoke to Bailey Mackey, uh, who's um, on the on the board, uh, and, and that was actually quite Im- important to be able to speak to people at the governance level. Because I think uh, one aspect which perhaps your average rugby fan doesn't think about is the importance of governance. Because the that's that's really where the gap is between the Pacific teams, is at that governance level, not just in running their own teams, but into the engagement at an international level between the world governance. You know, it's it's there's very little connection there now that's building world rugby we spoke to bill beaumont who's the chairman of world rugby and that that is building but it's a slow process and it's a process that's only really happening now in the last couple of years um particularly with the eligibility laws being changed so what our series is also doing is looking at you know those 20 years for when they changed the eligibility law some of the older listeners might remember granny gate from the late 90s and between then and now, and just looking at how that has affected 
three teams who, you know, weren't the big powerhouses, but were incredibly, you know, you would pick them to make the quarterfinals consistently instead of being, you know, blown out by massive point differentials or having such massive dips between World Cup competition. One of the reasons that the Pacific teams do so well at the World Cup consistently in the past is they had preparation time that the World Cup allows. They're together for a decent amount of time, which some of the top 10 teams, they get that time because their seasons are built around it and the Pacific teams just don't have that luxury. So does New Zealand rugby have a role in all of this? You've talked about at a governance level. What 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 is it that New Zealand can do or what is it that New Zealand's not doing that it should be doing? Well, I mean, it's um, Super Rugby Pacific's just uh, kicked off. So let's talk about the things that New Zealand rugby is doing right, which is, you know, they've got the Moana Pacifica team. They've got the Mandrua team. And if you're a rugby fan, that was probably the best match of the opening round of, of Super Rugby uh, Pacific was the draw versus Moana Pacifica, real nail biter. By having that kind of competition, which allows particularly the national teams of Samoa, Tonga, Fiji to be able to um, get players coming directly from Super Rugby into their teams, um, that's that's helping them get time together. Uh, it's it's helping them uh, to be able to play top level competition consistently. Um, they're, they're also allowing players who would only traditionally be able to find that in competitions in, uh, say, Japan or particularly France and the UK, the ability to take contracts in New Zealand. So in terms of what New Zealand rugby is, I think that you know what we've taken away from our, our talks with them is there there is an understanding that the gap is in danger of widening if action isn't taken. So I think they're, they're looking to... Uh, have more Pacific players involved in New Zealand. I, if you want something that they can action, I would say more tests. You know, I, I, I think uh, a lot of Highlanders players would probably say the toughest test they had, uh, the toughest game they had in Super Rugby last year was against the Drua in Suva. Um, you know, we all know what a big deal the All Blacks playing in Samoa um, was. Mm-hmm. And the All Blacks have never gone back to Samoa. And, you know, part of that is the economics, you know, as um, the home team takes the gate, but, you know, it's, it's, it can be quite financially hard for a, a team like the All Blacks, the size of the All Blacks. But this definitely seems to be the want from fans, from players. So I think finding out how to have more of a Pacific test window where those three teams, um, in, the, in the words of uh, one of the Pacific coaches, aren't just beating up each other every year with an occasional test against another team. Um, I think I think that's something which New Zealand rugby uh, is aware of, and I think they are working towards. James Nokise, thank you. Now, before you go, could you give us the details of the podcast? Where do we? Where can we hear it? Fair game. Uh, well, it's fair game. The tag is Pacific Rugby Against the World. Um, you can find it on the RNZ podcast, and I believe it is broadcast on RNZ uh, Sunday mornings. Uh, I think around seven o'clock. Oh, I have to apologize, Susanna. I am never awake at seven o'clock on a Sunday <laughs> morning, so I can't confirm that to you. I will actually clarify that time. I'm sorry that I left that to you, but I was keen just to hear the details myself. And it's fantastic <laughs> love for speaking about this, James, and looking forward to hearing the series. Really, I'm looking forward That's to it. And, yeah, see what happens next. Thanks so much for your time.
Have a good Thank night. Thank you very much. Fa sui